Hello and welcome to Startup Dads. I'm Amrit Santhirasanan, CEO of a high-grade startup, father to a young daughter. Join me as I speak to ultra-successful parent founders, venture capitalists and investors to take a look at the world through their eyes and uncover the lives, drives and strategies of parents and business. We're here to show you that you can grow a thriving business and happy family at the same time. This week's guest on Startup Dads is Aaron Gelbard. Aaron is the CEO and founder of Bloom and Wild, the company that pioneered letterbox flower delivery and is now aiming to be the world's leading online florist. He's also down to two girls aged 20 months and four years old. In this show, we cover what's leverage, balancing ambition and risk, and the differing phases of focus for a founder of a scaling business. As always, it's great to hear from you all. So do leave me a comment or send a DM on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. Alternatively, reach me on LinkedIn at Amrit Santarasanan and I promise to get back to you. All right, let's get into the episode. I started the business in 2013 and at that point I was, uh, from a family perspective, actually not even engaged yet. I'd been going out with Caroline, my now wife, for uh, nearly three years and we had started to talk about getting married and have a family. And actually, I asked her parents for permission to propose to her a few weeks after starting the business. And at this point, I think they they thought it all sounded quite high risk. I didn't really know very much about flowers. And I was leaving behind this sort of sensible, more secure seeming job to try and post people flowers through the letterbox. And at the same time, <laughs> was uh, you know suggesting a future with their daughter. But they had faith in me and Caroline and I got engaged in the very early days of Bloom and Wild and got married a year later. And, you know, through that period, actually, Caroline was incredibly supportive. Uh, I also, in the early days, moved into her flat because I didn't have a salary, so I couldn't afford a flat of my own at that time and and stuff like that. And then we decided to start trying for our first child and we got pregnant. We were fortunate. And so Bethy came along in 2017. At that point, the business was a little over four years old. We'd raised our second round of institutional funding. We're a team of around uh, 40 or so people. We were in our third office by then, I think. We just started our international expansion, and I remember that quite well because I remember traveling to both France uh, and Germany, which were the countries that we initially expanded into in the early days, just before Beth came along and then just after. And it felt like, in a way, um, having a child came at a time where I felt like I was starting to professionalize the business. We had started to formalize our leadership team for the first time and had experienced leaders in all of the functions that we needed in our business. And so that felt from a a professional perspective, like the right sort of time to introduce this huge additional uh, (laughs) priority into my life. That's awesome. And I think it's one of those key things as a founder. It is about that sense of, being able to have some space to allocate some chips back to normal life. And it's always ebbing and flowing for me with my startup. You know, there's always things where I'm like, okay, I think the waters are a little bit calmer now. It's going to be okay. And then suddenly, boom, it goes again. So, you know, just interested to hear your thoughts about, you know, as you got your leadership team in, did you feel a natural sense that actually that was the case? Or was it a case of actually needs must anyway? No, I didn't feel like it was all becoming easier and all under control. To be honest, it's been a very full-on experience the entire way through, and it's been busy for different reasons at different times. I guess I also felt like if I was going to wait for Bloom and Wild to not be busy before 
Caroline and I started a family, then uh, it may have never happened. And so I didn't want to plan around it. But I think, you know, obviously knowing that our child was on the way gave me some time to think about how I could organize my work and how I manage my time to be a, a present and supportive dad to Bethia and to Caroline. And the single biggest thing that I changed was just becoming much more prioritized around my time. And I didn't and have continued not to cut out uh, social time with my team because I think it's super important. I see a big part of my job as being the custodian of our culture and responsible for making people feel valued and giving people a great professional experience. And I think the quid pro quo of that is that people care very much about our business and our customers, and therefore we offer a great product and service to our customers. I became much more cautious about time that I would spend doing networking that might be somewhat valuable generally. And I think before Bethia came along, I really put Lumen World first in everything. And if there was something that speculatively might have been somewhat useful to the business, I would always prioritize that because I felt like I had to do everything I could to prioritize the success of the business. And so I would go to a huge number of networking type events in particular and some of them were fun some of them were less fun some of them were useful a lot of them weren't very useful and then I realized that it was going to be a trade-off between going to things like that and spending time at home bonding with Bethia supporting Caroline and aiming for equality as much as possible in our parenting approach and that was really important to me so that was the single biggest change I made and I don't think It hasn't been possible to make my work less intense, but it's also been possible to organize when I'm doing my work more. And that remains the case now. So while I I work very hard, I can also choose to to pause, you know, most times. And that's been really important. There's a bit of uh, child background noise, which I normally uh, mute for, but it's probably nice to hear as part of this. It's absolutely perfect. My daughter was doing very similar things on the very first episode. I'll never forget. Yeah, I mean, Aaron, what you've talked to there really resonates with me. That notion of leverage and working out, right, where thinking really about which things that you do have the most leverage. And I think what you've talked to there, again, I always joke about this. It's an awesome opportunity for me to learn from other entrepreneurs this, because I think it's something it's that certainly lots of founders myself find quite hard is to go, which one of these things is actually really going to have high leverage? And what you've talked about there with your team, there's no question that team time is a high leverage activity. You're kind of the wiring. Often the way I think about it is the wiring between various teams and functions in your business, right? And actually, it's a critical role that CEO plays. But actually going and putting chips on red at a networking event, that is the sort of thing that's actually very scalable. It's very decentralizable. And actually, there's a chance that, like you say, lots of them, you've got to take a lot of shots of there and it's not necessarily the most effective time. So that's really interesting to hear that. I found that sometimes very difficult to work out what really is high leverage. One of the things that in my mind, like between importance and leverage are kind of not necessarily the same thing. Do you know what I mean? The sorts of things that may feel important, but actually may not be the only something that only that you can do as CEO. I don't know if you found the challenge in that. Yeah, I think there are some things that only I can do. I, I guess it's a lens on leverage is, am I the only person who can do this thing or could somebody else do it? I'm extremely respectful of other people's time as well, though, and actually a lot of um, it's my leadership style to to try and sort of lead by example and not just sort of push everything to other people to make my own life easier. If anything, I sort of try and 
absorb stresses and worries of others and have a upside down pyramid style approach. So often I end up doing things not because I'm the only person that can do it, but because I don't feel comfortable asking anybody else to do it. But then there's a question as to whether the thing needs to be done at all. And I guess that in our business, we've ended up trying to do a very large number of things in parallel. In hindsight, probably too many things in parallel, and we could try to do fewer things. For sure. That's the art of focus, isn't it? Doing a very small number of things. A hard thing for an ambitious, excitable founder to master, but still a very important one. I'm not sure I have mastered it at all, but uh, trying my best. But Aaron, I, I want to actually go back to you now a little bit. It sounds like you've come from an entrepreneurial family yourself. So I'd love to hear kind of a little bit about that story and maybe your reflections and your formative years growing up in an environment like that. Of course. So my dad was or is an entrepreneur and has been all through my life. Both my granddads were entrepreneurs as well. I didn't meet them, but we talked about entrepreneurship a lot in our household when I grew up. My granddad was one of the founders of a chocolate business. And so I guess there was a lot of positivity that came with that space and that made it an interesting I'm not sure if it sort of pushed me into flowers, but it certainly was an ingredient in making me think about trying to work in a positive consumer-facing emotive space. I think probably the single most formative aspect of my dad being an entrepreneur was seeing both the lows as well as the highs. And I think a lot of people sort of associate entrepreneurship with the highs that you can be really successful you know a lot of people think that you can be really financially successful which i guess if you're fortunate you can be you can also be um, successful in terms of the sort of impact that you can have in career development and progression and leadership experience and things like that but actually there are a lot of loads with entrepreneurship as well and i saw that with my dad a lot when i was growing up and you know he made decisions that ended up not being the right decisions and as a result of that his fortunes and our family's fortunes changed quite rapidly you know on, on multiple occasions and i saw both sides of it i saw how excited and motivated he was when things went well but i also saw the toll that it took on him when things didn't go as he hoped, both in terms of his stress levels, his ability to prioritize his health and things like that. And seeing the the lows as well as the highs was really important for me because then starting to scale my own business, especially as a parent and therefore with this greater sense of responsibility, not just for myself, but for Bethia and now for Jemima as well, I felt like I wanted to make the outcome uh, for my family less volatile in both directions. So I'm very aware of things that I might do that might um, put everything at risk. And, And I think I've ended up trying to build a business that's mega ambitious. We want to build the world's leading and most loved flower company but also one where I am aware of the risk that things can go wrong and where I do take that into account when making individual decisions. And and I think that then has a knock-on effect on the sort of people that we attract because some businesses attract the sorts of people who want the business to you know either exit in the next six months for 100 billion or go bust. And they're sort of happy with that very binary outcome. And I think the nature of the business that we built at Bloom and World, its predictability, it might be a bit bigger, a bit smaller than than we expect, but it won't be a hundred times bigger or smaller than we expect. That's very deliberate given what I saw growing up. That's really, really interesting. That notion of balance, right? And having the right balance where you can control that. And particularly, I suppose, that manifests in your relationship with your investors. And so I'm really interested, Aaron, to ask 
How do you frame that when you're talking to investors? Because, you know, HX is a VC-backed business as well. And we had actually very similar conversations with lots of investors that, like you, I think, where, you know, I said, look, I'm 38, I've got a child, we've built a business like this, it's really important to me, we're not going to bet the bank on this, this isn't put it all on red and see what happens. You know, how, how did those conversations go with investors? What was the reception to you taking that attitude to scalability and the risk-reward trade-off, I suppose? Look, I guess it's a it's a factor of the category that we're in. We're not sort of a biotech company where we're going to spend 10 years doing R&D and we may or may not cure a disease at the end of it, but may end up with nothing. And And so in a way, we're in a business which has predictable metrics. We know how many customers we can acquire each month. We have a view on their retention behavior and things like that. And so I think investors who are attracted to our business are attracted to it partly because of its predictability and the fact that you know we therefore have that visibility however we've ended up also taking more binary type decisions as well in particular we decided to add growth via acquisitions into our strategy over the last year and we've acquired two businesses one in the netherlands and one in france and so in a way, those were much bigger bets that could have had both you know a very positive but also a very negative potential outcome and as a result of that, we've taken more risk. And, and so I think that's had an impact on the sorts of conversations we've had with investors and actually the sorts of investors that we've gone on to attract. But once again, I felt that we we're taking that risk with a comfort level that the range of outcomes, while it's a really big decision to acquire a company, actually the range of outcomes between the company that we acquired doing really well and there being lots of synergies and they're doing less well are actually relatively limited. One thing that I reflect on is actually what entrepreneurship means. And, you know, you've having grown up in that environment, seen the highs and lows. What does entrepreneurship mean to you? What do you think about when you say I'm an entrepreneur? For me, I think it's a few things. I think it's creating something special. I think it's uh, it's genuinely acting like an owner. This is uh, one of the values of Bloom on the business that we acquired is act like an owner. And it's a phrase that I love because I think, you know, you are an owner as an entrepreneur, but then you inspire a group of others to be an owner. And so you sort of instill the sense of ownership in a team of people. And for me, I guess I'm officially the entrepreneur. We are also an entrepreneurial business. It isn't just about me. It's about a group of people trying to change the status quo and achieve something special. I think there's a piece around solving a genuine problem as an entrepreneur as well. I think uh, in order to really have an impact, um, you should do something that you're passionate about and that you think others will be passionate about there being a solution for and I think it's super important that entrepreneurs have a positive impact on society at large and doing something that's not just a vehicle to making money, but also a vehicle to having some sort of positive impact on our world. And that's something that's very front and center to me. That's super cool. And I think it's, again, as you say, not something that people zero in on a lot when they think about startups and what startups do. Because I think, as you rightly say, lots of people think about startups as, ironically, some sort of get-rich-quick scheme, which they couldn't be further from, I expect, for 99.9% of businesses. Uh, But I suppose the corollary of that is actually that if you're successful or you're fortunate enough to be successful, it stops being about the money quite quickly, I think. And impact starts to become much, much more important, particularly as, as you have kids. It certainly focuses your mind on what you're doing with your time and the sort of positive impact you're making on the world. So I totally can see that. Awesome. So I suppose speaking of kids and thinking about kids, you know, how do you feel about your kids, Jemima and Bethia, being, what, what would that make them? One, two, three, fourth generation, I think, if I've done my sums correctly, entrepreneurs, 
Do you have thoughts on building that foundation, jumping straight feet first in? What would you advise now to them, I suppose, when you think about the journey you've been on? Yeah, I very much hope that they become entrepreneurs as well. I think, you know, I encourage anybody who asks me about the entrepreneurial path to go for it. I think you learn a huge amount by trying out entrepreneurship. I think if it goes well, then, you know, we've talked about some of what that can mean in terms of learning, impact, financial opportunity. But even if it doesn't go well, I think um, you still have this huge amount of learning. I think you become a much more rounded professional. I think you become much more employable at a more senior level than if you hadn't had the opportunity. And I think it's one of the great sort of schools uh, that you can go through in life. I also think you learn a lot around collaboration, perseverance, humility, things like that. And so, you know, I have no idea what Bethia and Jemima will want to do when they're older, but I, I very much hope that they'll want to be entrepreneurs as well. And I'll, uh, I'll certainly uh, give them all of the support I can if they want to go down that path. I don't know about you, but in my general experience, when we hire people, if they've run their own business or they've been a founder before, it's an incredibly high predictor of success that we've seen within HX. Whatever it is, the founder school that you go through is definitely a very effective teaching machine. I suppose irrespective, like you say, of where it ends up, the journey is worthwhile. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, in a way, like it's true for so many things in life. It's about the journey so much more than the destination. I think we spend a lot of time in our lives sort of optimizing for a destination. But actually, you know, your memories and the formative experiences are about how you got there rather than, you know, you ring the bell on the the London Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ one day. Like, obviously, you remember that day. But what you really remember is the many moments along the way that led to that. Awesome. So Aaron, I suppose, moving away from childhood into the today, you know, what do the highs and lows of startup life look like for you now? I mean, you know, you've real an amazing business by most metrics, you know, Series D with Index. Congratulations on that. Absolutely amazing. Jemima's come along. Bethia is maybe not Series D yet, but she's post-seed, you might say. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, you know, and Bloom and Wilder's grown and developed eight plus years old now. What are the challenges of being a startup look like, I suppose? Maybe you can give me the preview of, you know, HX is just post-Series A, Evie's 22 months old. So, you know, what does it look like to you now? What are the challenges and the balancing act look like today? I think there are actually more demands on my time now than perhaps ever. And I hope that this wouldn't be the case and I would have everything neatly delegated away and, the, and there would be fewer, but there aren't. I have a, a stronger than ever team around me and so I'm more and more able to delegate more of those demands to other people, but there are certainly more demands um, around me. And in particular, because we made these two acquisitions, I've started traveling, which is my uh, job, I guess, has been relatively not travel heavy for the vast majority of the time that I've done it. So now factoring in travel, two or three times a month overseas is certainly a, a significant additional demand on my time. And then, uh, you know, my wife works uh, full time as well. Um, Caroline's job is also intense. Um, you know, we try to balance both parenting and other responsibilities as much as we can. And, th and that's really important to us both. So Bethia started school and there's a lot of, well, school is amazing from a sort of childcare and learning perspective. There's also a lot of admin around um you know, homework, communication with teachers and things like that that wasn't part of our life before. So it feels like the number of things that we're, we're juggling is sort of growing all of the time. And we just need to find ways of working through that through, you know, being able to rely more and more on others, um, especially professionally. 
I think the other thing is, you know, you talked about Index and, and General Catalyst from the US also invested in our business in the Series D. These investors are, are very ambitious, but actually all of our investors that we've had over the years have been ambitious um, as well. So this isn't something that's new to us. Um, it's a, a balancing act that we've navigated over many years and continue to navigate. And the complexity is always increasing and that's always presenting new challenges. Well, that fills me with absolute dread. <laughs> Here was me going, is Aaron going to tell me it all gets easier? I'd much rather know in advance so we can brace for it. But I can totally relate to the notion of administrative complexity going up indefinitely. It's one of those things that I think, <laughs> I don't know, I quite quickly learned as a founder to stop telling myself actually, you know, that the next level was going to be easier. Because I think at the beginning, you delude yourself a little bit that that's the case. And there's some sort of escape velocity you know, and once you hit that, then it's not the same. But yeah, the, the whole point about high growth businesses is they create completely new problems in a way that is hard to relate to until you get there. Yeah, I think they do. And in a way, you know, it's the unknown unknowns, as you put it. And there are the sorts of things that you need to focus on, I guess, change over time. But there's always something else. So two years ago, I didn't think that we'd be acquiring companies. And I certainly had no idea um, the amount of effort that uh, integration you know, would require. And in a year's time, we'll probably be working on something else that uh, isn't on my radar at all right now. And so in a way that the predictability is low. I also, as I look back at it, I feel like each six months, um, my role has had quite a different flavor to it. Over the last six months, I've been very focused on integrating businesses that we've acquired the six months before that. I was very focused on the acquisitions before that. I was focused on fundraising before that. I was focused on the sort of seismic shock to our business that COVID presented in all sorts of dimensions in terms of HR or so commercially. And if I, I track back, there have been these different phases with different focuses. And it's hard to know what those next focuses will be. But I know that there always is one. And in a way, part of the experience that I enjoy and I'm learning so much from is moving through these different phases over time. Learning to enjoy the journey is a skill I think I've had to consciously do. I think that journey can be very stressful, but actually learning to realise, you know, that you can look back on every three months and go, wow, you know, those are the skills I didn't know that I had or that I didn't know I could learn. It's definitely valuable. Yeah, exactly. And I don't see that ever slowing down. I think that's just part of the experience of entrepreneurship, you know, going through these different phases. So Aaron, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your journey in entrepreneurship that you want to pass on to your kids? I think um, you know, I started with this as a priority, but it's become an even bigger priority as we've gone along is to really focus on empathy, where in order to build a great business, you have to build something that customers really love. And to do that, you can't think that you know better than them. You have to understand what's important to people. It will be very different to what you think. Um, this is people that work with you. It's people in society that your business serves as customers, you know, directly or indirectly. For us, that's meant things like setting up our thoughtful marketing movement. So we're quite well known for allowing people to opt out of sensitive marketing emails and communications and proactively encouraging them to do so. This has been a really culturally important step for our business. And it's been something that's um, perhaps in the short term has reduced our revenue, but I think has um has meant that we've built much greater loyalty and advocacy than if we hadn't uh, thought in this way. And so, you know, as I think about scaling my own business and hopefully um, over time watching Bethia and or Jemima grow into entrepreneurs of the future, have them think not just about sort of scale and financial success, but also about the way you do business um, 
you know, how you interact with people around you and how you go about achieving your mission rather than just whether you achieve it at all costs or not. For sure. And I think empathy is one of those amazing things that sometimes as a founder can be hard to have when you're so busy and you're so focused singularly on your business. And having children is a really valuable way to bring some of that into your life, I think. Well, Aaron, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've got a really, a really great, thoughtful style, which I think is something that our listeners will really uh, enjoy listening to. Before we go, we like to wrap up the show with our segment, Startup Shoutouts, where we shine a light on some entrepreneurs or anyone in the startup world, investors, startups, uh, founders, anyone that we admire. Startup Shoutouts. Who are your Startup Shoutouts, Aaron? I've got a few. Um, these are all businesses that I've been helping out a bit. So a uh, shout out to Motley, which is a fab uh, jewellery business run by Ilana Lever, to uh, This, which does vegan food run by Andy Shovel, to Urban Jungle, which is reinventing insurance, which is run by Jimmy Williams, and to Dishpatch, which is delivering uh, amazing uh, restaurant meals to houses all over the country, uh, which is led by uh, Pete Butler. So they're my shout outs for today. That's absolutely awesome. And Dishpatch, they're now they're on the top of the leaderboard, I think. They've had two now, so okay, uh, cool. which is super great. Amazing. Well, Aaron, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's been absolutely cracking. Uh, Bloom and Wild, close to a household name. It's going to be, I imagine most people will know where to find you, know where to look. But is there anything you want to say on behalf of Bloom and Wild, anything that you want to shout out for our listeners to hear in particular? I appreciate people's custom who tried Bloom and Wild. We care a huge amount about the flowers and plants that we create and the experiences we give people. And yeah, we hope that others who haven't had the occasion to try Bloom and Wild will do in the future. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Thanks, Emirate. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. It would really help us if you shared the show with a friend or colleague. So if you know someone who might find this podcast valuable, please pass it on to them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on Twitter at StartupDadsPod. 